Welcome everyone to the Predictably Treacherous Podcast. Today's episode is Banachek, A Million the Hard Way. This is episode four of season one. This episode was directed by Bernard L. Kowalski and written by Stanley Ralph Ross. The original air date was November 1st, 1972. Let's get right to the episode summary. When a million dollars disappears from a display case in a busy casino during a commotion, Banachek is called in to investigate by the casino's Howard Hughes-type owner, the crime. So we're in Vegas. It's inside a casino. It's busy. There's couples visiting Vegas are lined up to get their pictures taken around a display with a million dollars in five stacks of $1,000 bills by a photographer, Margot Kidder, wearing a red glittery one-piece swimsuit. The five stacks spin slowly on a velvet tabletop, and it has this plastic dome cover. There's a security guard, a hapless security guard, standing next to the display, and he's watching the couples and the money. So the first couple seems really touristy. Um, the guy is shamelessly flirting with the photographer and uh, making wisecracks. They make a remark about how this is the closest they'll ever get to a million dollars. The man mentions they're from Iowa and his wife's name is Martha. And it seems like they're trying to make it um, appear like an obvious attempt by the couple to get remembered, like as witnesses. When the next couple is about to have their picture taken, an alarm bell rings. Um, and it doesn't sound like a fire alarm or get out of the building alarm, but it's um, it's actually one of the slot machines called Big Betty, and it's been hit. So there's an alarm that goes off to let everybody know that somebody's won big and there's a lot of excitement. The photographer collects her camera and runs over to take a picture of the winning couple. After she takes the picture, the man becomes irate. He's like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. Who told you you could do that? And he kind of grabs her camera and he throws it a bit. So he seems uh, upset about it. The floor manager comes over, the commotion, and it kind of it kind of breaks up. The photographer's a bit upset, but it, nothing else happens from there. She returns to her station to, to take a picture of the next couple who's waiting to get their picture taken next to the, the rotating money. But the display, otherwise undisturbed, is empty. The missing stacks of uh, $1,000 bills, they're gone. The Banachek intro. Banachek arrives by plane in Vegas. He's got a nice suit on. Give him that. So Jay's there with a limo to greet him on the tarmac. Banachek and Jay have a discussion that fills us in on what's happening. Banachek was hired by John Nathan Jackson, who is like a Howard Hughes type character. He's filthy rich, he's eccentric. And nobody has seen him in years. Banachek will meet with one of his henchmen, Arnold Leland. There's some nice aerial shots of them driving. And then we arrive at a hotel where Banachek is to meet Arnold. So Arnold says he hasn't seen Jackson in 15 years. He speaks with him several times daily, but only communicates through, quote, hand memo. I guess he means written notes or a phone call. So Banachek asks why Jackson cares about a small sum of money, because even though it's a million dollars to him, it's it's virtually nothing. So Arnold says uh, Jackson was enraged 
and he put the million back into the exhibit after the theft, and it's all about pride. The unhappy insurance agent. All right, so they leave for the casino and to meet Andrews from the insurance agency. Now, Andrews, he's upset that Banachek is there. This trope is getting so old. He gets ultra competitive. He has a strange accent. I can't quite figure out what it is, like where he's supposed to be from, but he sounds, it's kind of a Cary Grant thing or more like a Gary Granite from the Flintstones. I suppose if I was a blue-bellied kingfisher, I'd appreciate it more. So now Banachek talks with the security guard in a barber shop while the security guard's getting a haircut. The guard tells him when the jackpot was won, his partner moved away from the display to help the photographer deal with the man who threw her camera while he stayed to watch the display. He said he only turned away from it for five to ten seconds, and when he turned back, the money was gone. The ladies' man. So out at the pool, Margot Kidder is sunbathing. She looks incredible, by the way. And Banachek wants to ask her some questions about the night of the robbery. Uh, she looks super foxy, like top-notch. They have a nice exchange. She's ultra-flirty and sexually suggestive with him. She has her eyes closed and she's lying sunbathing in a bikini and she keeps telling him that his voice is really sexy. The, the scene seems to work a lot better having a woman be sexually aggressive with Banachek rather than having Banachek be domineering and overly chauvinistic. This balance of the woman being more aggressive and Banachek having to fend them off it actually makes Banachek seem a little more likable. So Margot, it's interesting, inadvertently foreshadows her future in real life when she tells Banachek, um, she says about his name, she says, oh, a one-word name, like Superman. And then a little later she says, uh, when they go inside for a drink, she tries to explain her behavior and she says, the sun makes her a little crazy. That's not very nice. Um, did I mention she's incredibly foxy? So now in Margot's dark room, looking at uh, developing the pictures, Banachek sees the picture of the couple who won the Big Betty Prize. So Margot says the woman that's with the guy is a semi-pro, like an escort. So now later back at the casino, we see the escort, the semi-pro, picking up a, quote, John. She's picking up some guy. So Banachek asked to speak with her, and the guy's kind of reluctant. He's going to be in the way. So Banachek mentions, uh, he whispers to him something about, some lie about the woman being a syndicate boss's mistress. And then the guy splits. So she's kind of pissed about it, and she demands to be paid for her time. So she and Banachek sit, and Banachek is, he's, he's paying for the information. Um, so she explains she just met Loomis, which is the guy that night. He bought her a drink. She says he seemed strange. He was not interested in sex. He just seemed lonely. So um, Banachek's got the information he needs. He's about to leave. And again, being such a ladies' man, she says to him, hey, I'm, I feel bad, you know, taking the money from you. I feel like you should get what you're paying for it, implying that she wants to have sex with him. And uh, he declines. 
Okay, so now we're back in the casino. Jay is uh, gambling at the craps table. I, I kind of like this gay, this, this gay, I kind of like this Jay gambling obsession thing. Um, Jay is, he's, he's good as like, um, he's your everyman. Like he's a schmuck. Uh, so it kind of feels correct. It feels right when, when Jay's getting duped or gambling away his money or just generally fails at what he's doing because it, it seems believable. Um, especially in contrast to Banachek, who's, who's meant to be like this, uh, overachiever, this Ubermensch, right? So Banachek asks him where Linda is, and Jay points to the showgirl's change room behind a door marked private. So apparently it's not locked, even though it leads right into the casino. So Banachek just walks right in, and then he coyly says, let's listen to the clip. I'm sorry, I didn't know there's anyone in here. Then why did you knock? Habit. It's actually a good little clip. Um, so the girls don't seem bothered by him walking in at all. And one of the girls named Trinket, uh, who talks like uh, Melanie Griffith with the little girl voice, very high, she flirts very heavily with Banachek. So Banachek asks Linda why she took the picture of Loomis on the night when the Big Betty was won and the money was stolen. She's a little offended, but he charms her. She says she was told by Larry Fields, the hotel press agent, to take pictures of anyone who wins Big Betty. Um, they get the customer's release and put the picture in the casino newsletter, I guess because they want to promote when people win the big machines so that people will come in and want to want to play it. So now Banachek visits Frank Fields, good name, by the pool to confirm Linda's story. This is a good scene, actually. Several models in bikinis are milling about waiting to have their picture taken by Fields. They work for Fields. Fields confirms Linda's story, but who cares, and says he was following orders from Leland, who was likely following orders from Howard Hughes or whatever the guy's name is. So when Banachek is, anyways, this is the point. When Banachek is about to leave, Fields asks him to first take some pictures with the broads. He says he'll put them in the brochure and it will lend some class to the place. It's actually a really good clip. I appreciated this scene a lot. Uh, Mr. Banachek, uh, could you do me a favor? Depends. And could you take a couple of pictures with the broads, maybe give the brochure a little class? Anything for the brochure. Oh, good. Hey, girls, this here's a friend of mine, Mr. Banachek. He's going to take some pictures with you. Ladies? All right, Freddy, shoot pictures. Do it. Do you work for the hotel? No, actually, I'm a freelance male model. Great. See, the show needs more, more content like this. See, this works really well because it's it's silly uh Banachek is like he, there's an over-the-top unbelievable attraction between women and him uh a guy saying broads and that it'll lend some class in kind of the same paragraph and the fact that um Banachek is is still a bit silly and he's arrogant but he's not overly chauvinistic in like i don't know almost um he can be at times almost overbearing with women and sort of abusive i don't 
I don't like that aspect of it. I like when he's arrogant and cocky and aloof and he's very confident. But yeah, so this this works really well for me. They should do more scenes like this. So now we're entering that part of the episode, happens almost every time, where stuff happens. We don't know exactly what it all means, but Banachek acts like it all makes sense to him. Uh, and then at the end, we get the big reveal. So basically, over the next little while, Banachek talks to the guy who services the slot machines. He flies to L.A. for dinner with Linda and to talk to Loomis. Someone tries to kill him. He talks to Felix briefly, has a serendipitous encounter with the maid, and finally, we get the big reveal scene. The big reveal. So Banachek has gathered all the stakeholders around Big Betty. Andrews is there. Leland arrives with his wife, and Banachek begins the big reveal. Let's listen. You see, Loomis hit the Big Betty jackpot exactly when he was supposed to. The machine was rigged with a magnet on each of the wheels, and it was triggered by a powerful electromagnet, probably activated by Marvin Flanders. Loomis had picked up a girl named Betty Janice here in Vegas, but she wasn't part of the deal, just very clever window dressing to make him look like a weekend philanderer. He seemed like the classic cheating husband caught in the act, certainly not a key figure in a million-dollar heist. And he almost had me believing him until I saw a photo of what his wife looked like when she wasn't in bathrobe and curlers. Not sensational, but not as bad as she dressed herself down to be. I also saw a note on their wall calendar for the same date Loomis was out of town, plus a phone number. The area code was for Las Vegas, and the number was for this hotel. He begged everybody not to tell his wife where he was. Well, she knew where he was, all right, and she knew exactly what he was doing. They'd obviously been warned by someone I was paying them a visit, and they put on a very good act for me. Now, Loomis and Flanders were both engineers who had worked with electrical and magnetic machinery, so the slot machine rig was a piece of cake. It was easy enough for him to palm the magnets when he opened the machine for inspection after the heist. When the slot machine diversion was taking place, somebody, probably Marvin Flanders again, detonated a million dollars. Detonated? You see, the bundles were detonated by a switch in a small radio transmitter hidden under the turntable and hot-wired to the turntable motor. The money, which probably had been treated with an explosive solution, went right up in smoke. But the case was totally empty when it was examined. No ash, nothing. As soon as the money was destroyed, almost instantaneously a powerful vacuum was turned on that sucked the smoke and ashes out through a narrow tube hidden under the turntable. It only took a couple of seconds. So you got that? All right. There's a lot of detail there. Basically, they, um, you know, they incinerated the money and sucked the ashes through a vacuum. That's all you need to know. So some security guard or someone asked, um, you know, why would they destroy the money? Which is like a totally legit question. Like, why, why would you do that? Um... And Banachek doesn't really have an answer, at least not this time. I think he's getting there, you know. So next we have the get. And Leland, right after this conversation, Leland leaves the room, the area, to phone the Howard Hughes guy and inform him. So Banachek follows Leland shortly afterwards. And then we see Leland, he's standing in an office, and he hasn't made the call yet. 
and Banachek confronts Leland and gets him to admit that it was him. So let's listen to the clip. There is one flaw in your theory, Mr. Banachek. That's right. How could a vacuum, no matter how powerful, suck up that much residue that fast? A million dollars makes a lot of ashes. There wasn't a million dollars in the exhibit. There were five stacks of what were supposed to be $1,000 bills. And what were they? Dummy stacks. I guess there were only five $1,000 bills. The remainder were new $1 bills, which had been hollowed out so they could put in the incendiary chemicals. Flanders must have done that. No, you did, Mr. Leland. And Loomis and Flanders. You rigged that uh, sprinkler system to go off. And when everything was taken out of the room, you had to take that million for safekeeping. Only you and Jackson had the keys. But what you put back were the phony stacks, which sat there for three months while you worked out the rest of your plan. How did you get to it? Someone downstairs just asked, why would anybody destroy a million dollars? I've wondered about that. It doesn't make any sense, unless someone wanted us to think it was destroyed, because that way we wouldn't know it had been stolen. I've thought about you and your keys. Besides, you and your wife were the only ones who knew I was going to see Loomis. It had to be you who tipped them off. The million is, I suppose, sitting in a safety deposit box in Switzerland. Lebanon. And I could even tell you why you did it. A million dollars is why. It's more than that. You know, you couldn't stay in this job very long. You probably couldn't get a good recommendation from your employer. He doesn't give recommendations. Also, your lifestyle isn't easy to maintain on unemployment insurance. You'd really need a million dollars to keep yourself the rest of your life. I want you to know that Marcia knew nothing about this. Absolutely nothing. Strictly between Flanders, Loomis, and myself. So that's it. So um, after that, Leland pulls out a gun, and he's going to kill himself, and... Uh, Banachek grabs the gun from him and his wife kind of just entered the room. So she overhears and sees the whole thing. So she knows what's up. So that's it. Banachek saves the day. So now Banachek and Linda are leaving the casino. Banachek is going to be leaving for Boston. And Linda says she hopes to see him again. And for her, their relationship was more than just a quick fling. And Banachek says for him too. Yeah, Sure. And that he isn't one of those guys who makes a connection and splits. Oh my God, you're definitely one of those guys who just makes a connection and splits. Let's listen to the clip. I mean, I would want to think I was one of those guys who came into town, made a connection and split. See you around. And just after that, he gets on a plane, and she'll never see him again. <laughs> okay, so there's a weird scene right after the, or right before this, um, or after this, or something. Um, it's a man. A man comes in, and uh, so uh, a man comes into the scene and asks Jay or Banachek for a light or something. And Jay and Matt Banachek are like, who? Do, is that who you think? It was? Do you think that's who it was? No, nah, couldn't have been. Must have been someone else. And I feel like a like a jackass, like I'm out of the loop or something. I don't know who the man was. Um, I looked it up. I couldn't find. He's uncredited, so I, I don't know who it was. So here's the thing. Um, both Jay and Banachek acted like they recognized him. Um... 
I'm not sure if it was someone famous in real life from the time or if it was supposed to be the Howard Hughes type figure from the episode. Now that would be weird because as the audience watching, we don't we don't know anything about that figure. I I don't think it was supposed to be him. The guy didn't look old enough. He looked to be late 30s, early 40s. Now I, my thoughts at the time were is he a professional football player? Is he because they've already had some professional football players on the show, but I didn't know who it was. Um, and I know a little bit of professional football, but you know, that's much older than, than the guys I knew. So, but I, I don't think so because he didn't seem that I don't know, he just wasn't that recognizable. I just it wasn't clear to me. Like maybe he was supposed to be the Howard Hughes type guy, but there were some scenes that were cut from the show that would have clarified it. I don't know. I don't know. It's a mystery. No information on uh, on the old internet about it, so I guess we'll never know. Uh, nevertheless, uh, so I want to say Margot Kidder uh, was elite level sexy in this episode. That was that made the show. These shows, man, you get a really sexy co-star on it like that, and you're all set. Um, and her chemistry with Banachek was very good. It made Banachek tolerable. It made him very tolerable. Unfortunately, I'm sure he'll revert to being obnoxious and chauvinistic next week. I also want to say that um, this was actually a really good episode. I really enjoyed it. It had the parts that I think make Banachek enjoyable, and it avoided many of the things that make Banachek annoying and unenjoyable. So the things that it did well is really sexy co-star, Margot Kidder, that was great. A really preposterous premise, like they stole money and vacuumed out the ashes and all this stuff, that, that was good. Um, also, I already drooled over it in the middle of this uh, episode here, The um, where the guy said, broads, take a picture with the broads, lend some class to the place. Like, that sort of silliness is, is awesome. They just, just lace the episode with things like that. Or at least have one or two scenes per episode where it's silly like that. And that's uh, that works really well for me. All right, enjoyed the episode. It was a good one. A rare good one. So enjoy it. Thank you for listening today. Check out the show notes for this episode or any episode on my website at ptpod.xyz. The show notes contain the links to all my sources and products that were referenced in the episode. You can write a glowing review of my podcast on iTunes or Google Play. There are handy-dandy links in the menu on my website at ptpod.xyz. And you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash ptpod. The intro music for today's episode was Sweeter Vermouth, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Check out the link in the show notes. Next week on the Predictably Treacherous podcast, we'll continue with Banachek Season 1, To Steal a King, where Banachek investigates a missing coin collection. Get ready for a stinker. Tune in next week. Thank <laughs> you.